Um, today, I uh, have a message for you. We're going to be continuing in this series that we've been in uh, called A Systematic Teaching on Spiritual Warfare and Deliverance. And I'm really excited about today. Uh, I get to talk about one of my favorite topics uh, today, and that is I'm going to be talking about your identity and authority in Christ today. Your identity and authority in Christ. And so if you're new with us today, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 16. If you want to get ready for that, we will have it on the screen. But if you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and and bookmark those uh, as, as I'm setting this up. If you have missed the first few messages on this series, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to those. Um, the Lord's showed me that there's four parts to this series, 101, 201, 301, 401, um, and each part has three sessions, if that makes sense. So this is the last message in the 101 section, all right? Week one, 101, we talked about a warfare worldview. Why is there warfare in the first place? Why does a good and loving God allow this enemy and allow the battles that we have to fight Why is there pain, suffering, and evil in the world? It's directly related to that question, which is the biggest question that people have asked down through the ages, Christians, skeptics, agnostics, atheists. If God is good, if he's all-powerful, how could there be all this pain, suffering, and evil in the world? How could he allow, allow that? If you've ever wondered that or if you're still wrestling with that, go back and listen to that first week, okay? 101, Warfare Worldview. The second week, which was two weeks ago, Um, we talked about know thy enemy. We talked about Satan. Who is this enemy? What is he like? Why does he hate us? Why is he coming against us and waging war against us? Uh, what What are his purposes and what are his strategies? And we talked about the two main strategies he has, which is deception and intimidation or fear. Those are his two main strategies. And, and so, uh, you, systematic teaching is breaking down complex subjects into smaller parts that are easier to, to, to digest. And so th- this series builds on, on itself. And so if you miss those messages, you really need to go back and listen to those. Um, the Lord's been highlighting to me, uh, there's a reason that we're talking about spiritual warfare a lot in this season. It's because we're going to need it. We're going to, know, we're going to need to know how to discern spirits to discern what is of the enemy and what is not and once we identify what is of the enemy to know what to do to how to fight it how to resist the devil so that he flees from us amen Um, this is not just our church if you are paying attention to the greater christian community especially the greater prophetic community in the earth right now deliverance is being brought to the forefront there are movies coming out about deliverance come out in Jesus' name the shift nefarious these are christian movies that are highlighting the deliverance ministry uh you've probably heard prophetic words about the great coming great harvest great end times revival that's coming upon the earth uh in these days and a lot of the prophetic community has been saying that deliverance is going to be a major part of um, this coming revival. Um, I've been having more dreams lately. I don't know why. I up, um, I, I, dreams and visions is usually not my uh, the way the Lord speaks to me the most. But in the last month or so, I've been having many more prophetic dreams. And I'm not going to go into the details of a couple of dreams I had about a week ago. But I'll just, I'll just say it this way. Um, one of the enemy's main strategies in, in getting footholds and strongholds in, in the people of God and people in the earth is pornography. 
and the Lord was showing me through a dream that um, we're going to see, we're going to see much greater demonic activity in the lives of people, much, much greater strongholds, uh, even uh, possessions and things of that nature that gain access through pornography. Um, and if you think about mass media and how it works, um, it's much, much more prevalent. These things are explicitly demonic, and um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're studying spiritual warfare because we're going to need it. Okay, and so that's all I'm gonna say on that topic. Um, and so, yes, Christian people can be de- demonized. Christian people can have footholds, strongholds, um, and and have demons in their lives to varying degrees. And so uh, we need to be aware of this, and uh, becoming aware is really the first step in dealing with it. We talked about that a few weeks ago in the sermon called Know Thy Enemy. Uh, Paul says we're not unaware of Satan's schemes. When we are unaware, we don't fight them. And uh, ignorance is not bliss. When it comes to spiritual warfare, ignorance is death. Ignorance is destruction. Ignorance is you get your butt kicked, okay? And so uh, we don't want to be the sort that gets our butts kicked, do we? Okay, anybody in here like to lose? Okay, didn't think so. You know, parents and coaches drive me nuts, you know, that are like, oh, it's, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just if you have fun. How many of you have heard a parent, maybe you're the parent that says, just have fun, it's just about having fun, right? I would agree with you, but we can all agree losing is not fun. Can we agree with that, right? I like to win. Winning is fun, all right? And so if, if I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just a little bit competitive, all right? All right, I'm the dad that does not take it easy on my kids, all right? And uh, I will mop the floor with them, and I trash talk my children down to our five, four-year-old, you know? Like, our four-year-old is actually pretty good at Jenga. <laughs> She's actually pretty good. And so I love, you know, man, as a parent, when you play your kids in games that are like mind numbing for you, they're not challenging at all. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice. Amen. All right. Let's just leave it at that. But when they start getting good and then there's competition, it's like, this is actually fun. And so praise God, I've found a game my four-year-old's good at so we can compete. Um, but I will trash talk her and be like, you're going down. My kids will be like, do you want to play a game? I'll be like, man, guys, you know, I mean, if you guys want to lose, I mean, I hate making you feel bad every time you lose, but yeah, if you want to lose, I'll play a game with you. And so um, I feel like that's my role as a dad, to toughen them up for a very uh, competitive world. Shoot as snakes, baby, as innocent as doves. It's in the Bible. So <laughs> why am I talking about this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I want to win, especially in the most important subject in life, which is our spiritual life. I want to win. Scripture says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But I would venture to say the majority of Christians in America are not more than conquerors. They are getting their butts handed to them. They are living under, they're just as depressed and anxious and weighed down as the rest of the world. We do not have the joy of the Lord, so we don't have strength. You all, it's getting quiet in here, and I know you're resonating with what I'm saying. So why is that? Spiritual warfare, that's why. And we're so unaware of it, we don't fight it. That's why. We don't know how to do battle. And we read these verses like, oh, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Yeah, praise the Lord. And the average Christian has no clue how to even do that. 
And so these first three sessions of this series, um, they're very theological. What I mean by that, uh, the, theology is um, the, the, the belief of God, like a God worldview, the study of God in a, from a God perspective. And once you <laughs> apply the teachings of God to your life and you start to live them out, you start to realize like these aren't just things, you, you get to this place where you don't just believe these things, you know these things are realities. So if you're still here today and you're an agnostic atheist, you're struggling in your faith, you're not quite sure, that's okay. That's a, this is a safe place to uh, explore your questions and grow in faith. Praise, praise the Lord for that. And God meets us where we're at. But I'm telling you, myself and many other mature believers in Christ here, we've asked the questions, we've wrestled through them, we've read the books from the other side, we've read the scriptures, we've put them to the test, and then you start having spiritual experiences. I like, it's almost like science to me. I read the scriptures and I'm like, okay, the Lord says this is how it works. I, I'm, a, I'm a practitioner. I, I will put this into practice and we'll find out if it works or not. And then you find it works. And then you go, oh, wow. Demons are real. We can set people free. Praise the Lord Jesus. And, and it's fun. And it's awesome. And it's beautiful. And so I just want to encourage you um, as you're growing in your faith uh, that this subject is not a minor subject in the scriptures. And this is, uh, these are things that we need to be studying. So today we're talking about your identity and authority in Christ. Acts chapter 19. I want to dive in. Verses 13 through 16. It says this, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know... Paul, I know about, but who are you? Look at your neighbor and ask them that question. Who are you? Who are you? This is the question we're going to address today. Who are you? Who are you as a believer in Christ? Do you know who you are? Do you know who Christ is in you? And do you know, therefore, the power and authority that you carry? Who are you? It's a very important question. The demons know that this is the question. Who are you? Man, if you're not a believer in Christ and a demon ever asks you this question, you're going to have some problems, (laughs) as we're about to find out. Verse 16, it says, Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, seven verses one. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Guys, this stuff's still happening in our day and age, all right? You see some deliverance ministries that do things out in public and engage demons in this way. And yes, demons can uh, exhibit supernatural strength. And, and this, this type of thing is still happening to this day. This, this story, though, reads like 
every horror movie that you've ever seen, all right? Hopefully it's not too many because you shouldn't watch horror movies. Um, but, but there's someone possessed. They send the Catholic priest out there, and he, he's got the cross, and he's, he's, you know, you can tell he's scared out of his wits, you know, and he's, oh, come out in Jesus' name, ah. And then the person overpowers them, and the demons win, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is how it goes in Hollywood, okay? Um, and I think when Christians, the average believer in America anyways, reads this story, and it fills us with fear, and we feel like if we engage in spiritual warfare, this is what's going to happen to us. And we're, because of our inexperience, because maybe we don't know who we are in Christ and how this actually works and how spiritual warfare works, uh, we can be full of fear. I, I've said before, I've heard other pastors and teachers even say things like, you know, don't get involved with spiritual warfare because you'll get attacked more. Okay. That is a fear-based statement. That, is, that statement is not scriptural in any way, shape, or form. It's not biblical. And it's actually a stronghold mindset that the enemy likes to plant in pastors and preachers and teachers to get believers to not learn about these things, to not become aware of, of Satan's activity and his schemes so that they don't fight back. And so um, I've got good news for you today. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus, this right here is not going to happen to you, okay? And here's why. I would venture to say, and I think I'm safe in saying this, that, and, and this is not me using my prophetic gifting. Uh, this is just natural wisdom here. I'm venturing to, to say right now that no one in here's daddy's name is Skiva. Would you please raise your hand if your daddy's name is Skiva? Anybody? No. No. You see, you don't need to fear this happening to you, even if you engage someone who is fully possessed by a demon. Why? Because you're not a son or daughter of Sceva. Who are you as a Christian? You are a son or daughter of the Most High God. Why did they get their butt kicked? They actually were using a good strategy in the name of Jesus. But they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. It says these were Jewish people. Now, their daddy was a chief priest of the Jews. But he was not a believer in Jesus. They were not believers in Jesus. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is the same power that rose Christ from the dead. You don't have the spirit of Jesus living inside of you. You don't have the power and authority of Jesus living inside of you. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus in this room today, you probably should not try to engage in spiritual warfare. You need to come talk to a pastor. But if you are a believer in Jesus, you can engage in spiritual warfare just as much as any pastor or, or the most well-known deliverance ministers. They probably have more confidence because they have more experience but I'm telling you, if you're a true believer in Jesus, you have the same power and authority as the most experienced deliverance ministers on the earth today. So let me show you another story, Acts chapter 16. A very similar incident happens, but it has very different results. And we're going to compare and contrast these stories here. So Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, Luke wrote the book of Acts, same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. Um, he's traveling with the Apostle Paul. Uh, eventually. So the book of Acts starts out, you know, Peter did this, Paul did this, and it's kind of third person. And then halfway through the book, it says, we, 
we did this and we did that because Luke joined Paul on his missionary journeys. And so he starts writing from a first person perspective. And so this is what he writes. Acts chapter 16, he says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her, uh, for her owners by fortune telling, okay? This is a girl who's possessed by a demon, and it's giving her supernatural uh, powers. It's what we would, uh, in the, on the good, good side, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus, what we would call spiritual gifts, okay? Demons can give supernatural powers to people. You, you might call them counterfeit gifts or false gifts, all right? False spiritual gifts, This is a false gift of prophecy. When we say false, false gods, false gifts, we're not saying they're not real. We're saying they're evil, okay? And so still to this day, there are demonic forces that can give people supernatural gifts. This is where you have psychics and mediums, right? And now they channel, you know, your your dead grandma or whatever, and, oh, she's saying this and she's saying that. They're actually deceived. They're, They're actually interacting with demons, They're not interacting with your dead grandma because scripture says when we die, the dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to the God who gave it, okay? So your dead grandma is not roaming the earth. There are demons who knew your dead grandma. They know you, familiar spirits that follow your family around, assigned to you, assigned to your family. They know all the details. And when these psychics and mediums who are similar to this, they've opened up doors to be possessed or to tap into the demonic powers. Um, and they, yeah, they can pull up real information. They can false prophesy over you, predict things, you know, things of that nature. There's power in it, but it's evil power. And I just want to lovingly warn you that when you're, the, Satan uses different lures for different people, Okay. Different strokes for different folks. Different lures for different fish. And so some people that are real gothic and like the kind of darker side, yes, there's explicit occultism. Let's dress in black and kill goats and drink blood and do all that stuff, right? Um, Then there's uh, New Age and the New Age movement and Wiccan and, oh, it's white witchcraft. So, you know, it's good because I get spirit guides, right? My spirit guides give me good guidance. And, and, and no, like, I can go in the spirit and I, I interact with people that I know and I help them with things in, in, as I astral project and do all the, and I'm blessing people. They are deceived. <laughs> and, and that's one of his strategies for people that won't get into the darker more uh, gothic side of things. And so these things are still going on to this day. And I could tell you several stories about uh, people who engage, people with spirit guides who literally use it in business to make money and are successful at that. Um, And so same exact thing is still going on today. Um, And and I just tell you that because sometimes we read these stories in the Bible like, ah, this stuff doesn't really happen, you know, today. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, and so she has this spirit by which she's uh, telling the future. It says this, verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Now, why would a demon be yelling that out after them day after day after day after day? Why, why would they do this? I don't know why it would do this. 
I do think it's possible that the demon is trying to highlight them because keep in mind the government is still very antagonistic against Christians and perhaps it's trying to get them thrown in prison. That is, that is one possible theory uh, because how, how many of you have heard a, a sermon about that story where Paul and Silas are in prison and, and you know, they've been beaten and they're naked and they're in the inner room with the stocks and they're praising the Lord and a big earthquake comes as they're singing praises to God around midnight and the stocks fly open and the prison shakes and all the doors come open. Everybody gets set free. Remember that story? You know, we preach that about the power of our praise and our worship in the hard times, you know. And then they don't leave and the jailer gets saved. You guys remember that story? Do you know why they were in jail? Because they drive this demon out of this girl and her, and her owners can't make money anymore. So they effectively sue Paul and Silas because they drove a demon out of their little fortune teller. And the authorities arrest them, flog them, and put them in jail for driving out a demon. Because this demon was actually helping them make money and they got rid of it. And then the people are ticked off. And so they end up in prison for that. That's why they ended up in prison. And that's actually right after this this part of the story. And so she's highlighting, she's yelling out, these men are the servants of the most high God. They're telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. For many days. It's probably pretty confusing. It was probably pretty distracting. They probably didn't deal with it for many days because it sounds good, right? This, this demon's yelling out, this is true, this is who we are. But man, there's just something kind of off about this. You ever, you ever been around something like that, you know? Uh, it happens a lot when we do impartation times because if people have a demonic presence and we pray filling of the Holy Spirit, whew, you know, demons don't really like it when you try to fill people with the Holy Spirit. Kind of makes it, drives them nuts. And, and it can get kind of confusing, and they can uh, manifest and do things that distract uh, to try to cause confusion or distraction. And so perhaps they're confused. Perhaps they're just trying to be patient. Perhaps it's because it's a little girl. We don't know the reason, but they put up with it for many days. And then it says this. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit... In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. End of story. Now think about this. Compare that story right there to the other story from Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, there's seven ministers, seven priests versus one person that has a demon they in the same method in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches come out in that story the demon talks back these are rebellious spirits the demon talks back then it jumps on them and gives them a beating contrast that with acts chapter 16 paul gets so annoyed that he says in the name of Jesus i command you to come out of her Demon does not talk back. Demon does not even resist. Demon just leaves. And it's over. Now, it's not over because then the demon and the principalities that are associated with it incite this girl's owners to to retaliate and to get them thrown in prison, right? And that's part of the story too. But as far as this isolated case, it almost seems easy, does it not? I mean, think about the first story. Now think about that story. In the name of Jesus, come out. Boom, it comes out. 
There's no, there's no retaliation. There's no talking back. It, it seems easy, right? Does that seem easy, church? Why was that so easy? Why did the demon not even put up a fight? I would propose to you that it was not just because Paul was a Christian and the other people were not Christians. That's definitely a major piece here. I would propose to you this demon doesn't even resist Paul. Not just because it knows Paul is a Christian, but because this demon knows that Paul knows who he is in Christ, the power and authority that he carries in Christ. And so if the demon is sitting here going, if I resist this guy, Paul, uh, we're going to have bigger problems. He's going to keep going until he wins. And he will win because he knows Jesus and he knows that he knows Jesus. He knows that he carries the power and authority of Jesus. So I'm not even going to resist. He wins. I leave. When you start to do deliverance ministry with people, uh, very often, especially if you're new at it and you're trying to help someone who has a demonic presence in their life, um, you pray through the issues that they have going on, and then you get to the part where you're breaking ties and you're commanding the thing to leave. And sometimes the demon will manifest and it will resist you. Why does it do that? It's testing you. It's intimidation. You have the same power and authority as the apostle Paul because Paul's power and authority was not in Paul. Paul's power and authority is in Jesus Christ. And so when you, whether it could be just an oppression attack on your life or your family, you could be sitting with a friend who has a demonic presence in their life and you start praying and, and, and manifestations happen. That can happen to you at your house, you know, uh, demonic dreams and, you know, haunted houses and, and weird stuff happening, things of that sort. When you start, let me put it this way. You, try, you start going to church, you decide you're going to get right with God, and things get worse. The attacks increase. Maybe you come, you've heard the first few sermons, I'm going to start trying some of these prayers. You start doing the John Eldridge daily prayer that we've told you about. You start learning how to pray spiritual warfare, and the attacks increase, and things get worse. Why is that? They're testing you. Do you really believe? They know you have the same power and authority as the Apostle Paul. What they're testing you on is, do you know that you have the same power and authority as the Apostle Paul? And if you don't know that, and if you don't believe that, they put up a little resistance, they put up a little intimidation, you get scared, you start to believe the lie, oh, that the pastor I grew with, he said we shouldn't learn about spiritual warfare or get involved in it, because we'll get attacked, and you know what, I've been going to that free people church, and they're talking about it, and I'm getting attacked more, so I'm going to go to the church down the street that doesn't talk about this stuff, because the devil's scary. I don't care if you just got saved today and you're a a baby Christian in diapers, you, spiritual diapers, you have the same, you have the same power and authority as me. You have the same power and authority as the apostle Paul. You have the same power and authority as Jesus. But if you don't know that, and if you don't believe that, and if you're not confident in that, All they do is turn up the heat. 
All they do is turn up the resistance. You get scared. You back down. They win. They keep ruling over your life and over your family. It's intimidation. That's all it is. And so the Apostle Paul has no issue because he knows who he is in Christ. I want to give you another more explicit example of this. Um, Father Carlos Martins is a Catholic priest uh, who's been doing deliverance ministry for over 20 years. And he's become well-known for it in the Catholic Church. So when they have the worst cases of demonic possession, they send in uh, this guy, Carlos Martins. And I heard him on a podcast recently, and he was telling some stories about deliverance ministry and whatnot. And he said, you know, let's say that you walk into uh, a house where there's someone who's possessed is there, and you're going to help them. And he's like, let's say you walk in, and, and a chair in the living room is floating. He's like, how would you, would that freak you out? He asked the, the podcast guys this. And they go, well, yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty, pretty freaky deaky. You know, that'd scare us. You know, it'd be scary. He goes, yeah, okay, let me ask you this. What about the second time that that happens? What about the 22nd time that that happens? He's like, what about the 222nd time that you see the floating chair thing? He's like, honestly, you get so used to it. He's like, when, I, when that happens now, I walk in and go, oh, the old floating chair trick. Oh, okay, good one. And I sit down, and I get to business. And then he made this statement, and this stuck with me because it resonated with something one of my mentors, Harold Oberschlake, uh, with Open Heaven, said something similar one time. But he said, in fact, at this point in my life, this is Carlos uh, Martins, he said, very often, horrible cases of possession, same level of possession as early in my ministry and early in my ministry floating stuff and all this crazy spiritual power stuff happening he said now at this point they don't even do the floating chair trick with me anymore very often I walk in and someone is severely possessed and and none of those weird supernatural things even happen and he goes do you know why because the demons know that I know who I am and what I'm doing now and that it won't work because it's just intimidation to try to make me think that they're more powerful to get me scared so I will not do what I came there to do. And my mentor, Harold Oberschlake, said, said something very similar to that. When you know who you are and you're confident in what you're doing and they know that you know that. You, you start to see less opposition when you go to do warfare. I'll just say it that way. So that famous verse on spiritual warfare, James 4 verse 7, says, resist the devil and he will flee from who? If you resist the devil, he will flee from Jesus. Is that what it says? It says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from your pastor. So if you get spiritually attacked or there's oppression on your family, call your pastor and have him come and pray over your house. Is that what it says? Thank God it doesn't say that. I've told this story before, but we have a house blessing prayer on our website, freepeople.church/pray. If you've never done that over your house, you should do that. We've, we've helped dozens of families in this church who have, you know, haunted house issues 
Um, they're not ghosts, by the way. They're demons. I don't care if it manifests as a, a little girl that's scary. Oh, someone was killed in her house and saw the figure. Oh, it was the person. Demons know what has happened in your house, and they're, it's a ruse. It's a deception. Okay, it's not ghosts. It's demons. Okay? If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the same power and authority as me. And so what I've, every family that has come to me or individual that's come to me with issues like this, I say, here's a prayer. Here's what I want you to do. Go home. You have authority over your house. You have power and authority. You get with your spouse if you're married. If not, you do it. You pray through this prayer. You do what it says. Anoint with oil. Rebuke and renounce. Repent of any sin you've known in your house. Pray through it. And then in the name of Jesus, command any demonic presence to leave your house. And I said, here's the deal. You go do this. If there's still a problem, call me and I will come over and help you do it. Do you know how many callbacks I've had? Zero. Because they go do it, the problems leave because they have power and authority. And here's how authority works. Your house is your house. It's not my house. So I can, I can come to your house and I can pray and they will leave while I'm there. But then I leave. It's not my house. I don't have authority there. There may be things you've done or things you've watched or things you've said that have opened that door to allow those things in your house. If you've not repented of those things, there could be objects that are, have a demonic spirit attached with them. Uh, it's like a tiki. It's like an idol from another culture or whatever. Um, witchcraft objects, um, things of that nature, amulets, crystals. Get it out. <laughs> Get it out of your house. Cleanse your house. Your house, you have authority. And so I could go pray. They leave while I'm there. Then I leave. They come right back. If you don't know how to stand in your authority and say, you're not welcome here. This is my house. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So resist the devil and he will flee from you. If... You know who you are in Christ and the power and the authority that you have in Christ. Now, why is that? It's because of the concept of authority, spiritual authority. And I want to talk about this. What is authority? Authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Psalm 115 verse 16 says this, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. The highest heavens belongs to the Lord. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's where God rules and reigns. And in heaven, everything goes perfectly with how God rules and reigns. Let me ask you a question, church. On this earth, the realm of man, does everything go according to how God wants it to go? No. No, not at all. Far from it. Highest heavens belong to the Lord. The earth, the realm of the earth, he's given to mankind. So God has all power and authority in heaven. He's given the earth to mankind, and he's given it to us to rule and reign over. So everything that happens on earth happens through the authority of people. Let me show this to you in another. So Psalm 115, 16 declares that. 
But let me show it to you in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue, we're going to look at it in a minute. Rule over. That word rule over is one word in Hebrew. It's different than the word subdue. In Hebrew, rule over the fish of the sea, birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God said, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over every living thing on the earth. The word subdue there in Hebrew is kabas. It means to subject, subdue, force, or keep under you. Keep under what? Keep under your power and authority. This earth God made is a wild world and part of our job as as regents or governors or lords under the lordship of Christ, governors under the kingship of Christ, is to rule this earth and tame this wild world and bring it under our subjugation. Okay? The other word rule over there is the Hebrew word rada and it literally means to have dominion over, to rule and to dominate. So God created the earth for people to rule over. We talked about over the last few weeks in this series how Satan, there are certain spiritual laws in place and Satan has to play by the rules, but God plays by the rules too. And the rules are that he's given the earth to mankind for us to have authority. And so therefore, how could God allow an enemy in the garden? Because that enemy has to work through human agreement. Why? Because the enemy, did, the earth is not the enemy's realm. It's the realm of man. Mankind has authority in the earth. So for Satan to get power and authority, he has to get people whom God has given the earth to, to agree with him. So he works through human agreement. But watch this. Guess who else works through human agreement? The Lord God. That famous quote of John Wesley, surely God does nothing on the earth except through prayer. Many other theologians, well-known, well-respected theologians have said very similar things. The scriptures say when God wants to do something on the earth, he reveals it to the prophets. The prophets proclaim it. And then he looks for people who will pray and ask and intercede to bring about and then walk and act in alignment with those prayers to bring about the will of God on the earth. Why? Because God gave the earth to people. Think about this as a Christian. Even once you believe in Jesus, he comes in to live inside of you. Does he just rule over your life? Does he just start making decisions for you? Does he force you to do his will? Absolutely not. Why? Because he's given you authority over your own life. He's given you sovereignty over your own decisions. He's given you authority over your children and over your household. He's given, and your workplace, anything that is in your sphere or under you, whether it's people or responsibilities, you have authority over. God is, God wants what's best for humankind. 
So God wants to bring about things on the earth that will be best for us, but he's looking for people to agree with him, to yield themselves over and say, oh Lord, please come have your way. I will be your vessel, move through me. I'm praying, Lord, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we live our lives in alignment with those prayers. And what do you know? The Lord begins to move. And so that's why one of the most powerful prayers you could pray is a yielding prayer in your life and saying, God, man, I tell God all the time, God, you have permission. I give you permission to move in my life in ways I haven't asked for. God, you take over. I give you permission. God, take over this church. We have our little plan for a service or for the things we're doing in the coming months. God, if you've got better ideas, maybe these were not your ideas. If you've got better ideas, you just come in Holy Spirit and you do whatever you want. We give you permission. Move in our midst. I give my life to you, God. Use me, God. Yielding yourself. Why? Because God works through human agreement. And so does the enemy. Because they're looking to establish, each is looking to establish its kingdom on the earth. And the earth he's given to men. This is our realm. So they both work through human agreement. So, who's in control? Who's in control? I would love to believe that it's, it's a very comforting statement that Christians make. God is in control. God is in control. Now, if you mean God is sovereign, God wins in the end, okay. But the Bible actually says God is not in control. And it's because of this concept I'm preaching to you today, that the earth belongs to people, and God and the devil work through human agreement. 1 John 5, verse 19, we know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the Control of the evil one. Who's in control? Well, if the vast majority of people on the planet are not believers in the Lord Jesus, their lives are not yielded to him. I don't care if they're explicit occult people, new age. I don't care if they're atheist agnostic. They're under the power and control of the enemy. And the more that they think they're not, well, I'm an atheist, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's a reality. In fact, they like it best when you don't believe it and you think it's all fairy tales and you're your own God and you'll do whatever you well please. That's the original sin of Satan, which is the sin of conceit and pride and wanting to be God. And you are, you, that is the most explicit form of Satanism. The most explicit form of Satanism is not killing a goat and worshiping Satan and occultism. It's, it is actually believing you are God and it's the pride of man, which is the pride of Satan. Which means this, prime ministers, presidents, kings on the earth, cabinets, senates, ruling councils, if they don't know Jesus, if they're not born again Christians, they're under the power and the control of the devil. And most of them don't even know it. Their strings are being pulled. Everybody's motivated by something. And for them, it's power and control and greed and, and, and the, the pride that, well, average people don't know, and we've studied law and government our whole lives, and we know what's best, and so these poor peasants don't know anything, and we're going to make decisions for them that, that, that are really what we think is best. But in reality, the strings are being pulled 
and they're buying into demonic mindsets and demonic agendas. And I am convinced that there, there are some who do know what's going on um, spiritually. <laughs> and uh, there is a, an occult, uh, high-level occult that none of y'all know about. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about them, but I know they're there. And it's not the, the average little community seance. And I'm not talking about those people. There's deep-level occult that are ruling nations. And I would venture to say some of those leaders know what's going on in that sense. But I would say probably the vast majority do not. And they're, they're puppets. Just like the vast majority of people who don't believe in Jesus don't really know what's going on. And their lives are under the power and control of the enemy. That's scripture. We know we're the children of God. We also know the whole world is under the control of the enemy. Luke 4, verses 5 through 7, this is the temptation of Jesus. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, listen to this, what the devil says to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. You ever noticed that before? The devil's tempting Jesus. I'll give you all the authority of all the kingdoms on the earth. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now the devil's a liar, but he's actually not lying here. This is a true statement. I could give you, Jesus, all the authority of all the kingdoms on the earth because it's been given to me. We know that he's not lying because of Jesus' response. Jesus is like, that's not true. I'm not believing you. He didn't say that. He said, I'm not going to worship you. Jesus is being tempted to get actually what he came to get <laughs> was to buy back the authority of mankind over the earth and bring it under his lordship, but he's being tempted to get it without having to go to the cross. That's the temptation. And Jesus knows that the whole world is under the control or power of the devil. He knows that. He came, 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came to do. Jesus is no dummy. Jesus knows what's going on spiritually. But he knows this is not the way to get it. So it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the devil says, I can give you all the authority of the kings in the earth because they've been given to me. So if that's a true statement, which I believe it is, who gave him the authority of the kingdoms of the earth? Did God give it to him? No, we did. We did. When you sin... When I sin, we give authority to the enemy in our lives. And that's true for you as a believer in Jesus. You can have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in you. But if you sin or you start to believe, and man, spiritual warfare happens at a thought level. You start to believe with your heart. And believing in your heart is subconscious, by the way. That's why you can experience oppression and start to feel depression and anxiety. And you start to feel it. Even before you're thinking conscious thoughts like, oh, God's not helping me. God's not with me. At a heart level, you, are, you're, you have fear. At a heart level, under the radar of your conscious mind, you are believing fear. That's what that is. And that's why 
Praise God that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the mind of the prophet, that he's given you this power of the mind to go, wait a second, something's not right, and to read the scriptures and to come into alignment with truth and declare, I shall not fear today. He's given me power, love, and a sound mind. He's always with me. I trust him. I trust you today, God. And oh my goodness, the oppression starts to lift because you're preaching to your own heart and the, the warfare in that instance is happening at a heart level. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is for later weeks. One of, one of the, in light of that, the best form of spiritual warfare is proactively seeking the Lord. Worship, prayer, reading the word of God, filling yourself with the word of God, filling yourself with truth. That, it, it is guarding yourself from believing lies at that heart level. So, this is the bad situation. The whole world is under the control of the devil. This is how bad it is, guys. All of us, Psalm 51.5 says, I would, surely I was sinful from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every human being on earth has given up their authority to the devil. And unless and until you come under the lordship of Christ, your life is still under the power of the devil. Now think about the vast majority of people in this area, the vast majority of people on the earth do not believe in Jesus, which means they're under the control of the devil. This is a bad situation. Every single person who's ever lived has sinned and given up their authority to the devil, except for one man. And this is the gospel. Now I get to proclaim to you the good news. That Jesus Christ was fully God, the only begotten son. Only begotten means of the same divine essence as God. The spirit of God was the seed. Not a human sperm, not a human seed. The spirit of God was the seed in the woman. Immaculate conception, conceived of the very spirit of God. So in his spirit, the same divine essence as the father, and yet conceived in a woman. So fully God in a man, fully man. Why did he have to come as a man? Why did he have to live a perfect sinless life and die as a man? Not only to provide propitiation or a payment for our sins, but also because Jesus never sinned, he never gave up his authority as a man to the devil. The devil was deceived by God, tricked by God into killing Jesus. The devil it says that if the rulers and powers had, not, had known what they were doing when they killed Jesus, they would not have done it. It's not talking about human powers and authorities. It's talking about Satan. He didn't realize what would happen when Jesus would die on that cross. We also know this because when Judas went to betray Jesus, it says Satan entered him. He literally became possessed by the devil and he went and led them to Jesus to crucify him. It says Jesus died at the hands of sinful men who were committing, you could argue, the most sinful act in human history to crucify the perfect holy son of God. 
So by sin and death, Jesus overcomes sin and death. That's the amazing beauty and wisdom of God expressed in the gospel. So Satan kills Jesus because he's got to deal with this guy. This guy's winning. He crucifies the Lord of glory. And in so doing, he breaks the spiritual laws. He's been playing by the rules his whole existence. Get human agreement, then I can do whatever I want. Get human agreement, now I can rule over them. Uh, He usurps and steals your authority and my authority. And then he rules over us. And you can tell who has authority in your life by who you listen to. So if you listen to the enemy, you're giving him authority in your life. That's why we want to listen to the Lord and we come under his authority. See, the earth was given to man, but we're under a spiritual power. We're supposed to be operating under the lordship and the power of Jesus, the lordship and the power of Almighty God. He's the king of kings. We're kings of the earth under the king of kings. It's like in the medieval times, the lords and the regents and the governors, right? I'm the lord over this region, but I serve the king. And so Satan gets human agreement, and now he takes our authority and he rules over us. But in killing Jesus, he breaks the spiritual laws. Because Jesus, the wages of sin is death. God said, if you sin, you'll die. So Jesus never sinned. So he's the only human being in history who didn't deserve death. And Satan kills him. Uh Uh-oh. That gives Jesus legal rights to buy back the authority of mankind. And that's exactly what he did. Let me show it to you in scripture. So we know that he pays for our sins on the cross, the sins of every human being who's ever lived, past, present, and future. Whoever would believe in him, he will apply his blood to your account. It's like Passover. God's no respecter of persons. He didn't, he didn't say to the Israelites, if, if you're a terrible person and you paint the blood over your door, it's not going to work. I'm, gonna, I'm still going to kill you. No, you come under the blood of Jesus. You come under the blood of the lamb and the angel of death's going to pass over. The gospel works the same way. He's made provision for every single person. If you come under the blood of Jesus, you say, I want to believe in Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. Guess what? Judgment passes over you and you're saved. That's the gospel. God's no respecter of persons. Whosoever believes will be saved. So we know that. But look what else he did when he died on the cross. Colossians 2 verse 15. And having disarmed The powers and authorities. It's talking about Satan and the other fallen angels who are ruling over the kingdoms of men because they've usurped the authority of men through sin. He And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Not only did he pay, make payment for the sins of mankind, Jesus disarmed. He stripped the power and authority of Satan over mankind when he died on the cross. He made a payment to ransom back the authority of mankind over the earth. That's why when he rose again in Matthew 28, the great commission, he said it's finished on the cross, not just the payment of sin, but the stripping, the disarming of powers and authorities. And when he rose again and he met his disciples on that mountain in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus then came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. This is different. 
You see, he's the king of kings. He's the king of heaven. He always had the authority of heaven. Heaven has always operated under the lordship of Christ. But he says, all authority in heaven and now on earth has been given to me. That's what he's saying. That's the delineation. Now I not only have authority in heaven, now I have bought back the authority of mankind on the earth because I died as a man. And I paid for that price with my perfect precious blood. And so now all authority, even on the earth, has been given to me. Which means this, the world is under the control of the devil now. The devil has power, but now he's operating illegally because he's been stripped of his authority. All authority belongs to the king of kings and the lord of lords. So where we see the devil operating, you and I are commissioned regents, ambassadors, Uh, military police of the kingdom of heaven who've been commissioned with the power and authority of Jesus. And when we see the devil operating in the lives of family or friends, we can take a stand and go, hold up a second. That is illegal. You've been stripped of your authority. Leave now in Jesus' name. Come off them in Jesus' name. Veils of deception be removed in Jesus' name. They are going to believe. I'm interceding on their behalf and I'm praying for their salvation. And that's in agreement with the will of God. Because first Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all people are saved and coming to a knowledge of the truth. And God's looking for people who will just agree with him and believe it and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. So when I pray for the salvation, I believe the veils are going to be removed. They're going to come to faith. It has been decreed. It has been declared. Their name is on this board. Their name is on that board. It's a prayer in alignment with the will of God. So it's just a matter of time. It's just just a matter of time before that family member that you've been praying for comes to faith because you are praying in alignment with the will of God with his power and authority. This is why there is a difference. I remember when we first started this church, I got into a small group with some people who prayed different. I said, so-and-so's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've got surgery coming up. I've got this sickness. Oh, I need prayer. I'm like, hey, let's pray. And we start praying. And these people who were a little older in the faith than me, they began to pray. And they said, in the name of Jesus, sickness, leave this person right now in Jesus' name. You have no right or authority over this child of God. We command healing to the body. We pray healing right now. And they were praying. Their prayers were not like, oh, Lord, would you please heal this person? They were praying. I was, I was literally like, I opened my eyes halfway through the prayer, and I'm like, I'm waiting for the person to get up and be like, I'm healed. Because they prayed as if the healing was going to come right then and there. And we got done praying, and, and a lot of their prayers were declarative. A lot of their prayers were commanding. And I was like, this is different. See, I was raised under false humility. Oh, Lord, I'm such a worm and not a man. I've had such sin in my life, in my past. You probably don't even hear my voice right now. But, oh, Lord, if you would do me such a favor as listening to this poor sinner, and please heal this friend of mine. Oh, I turn my face away from you. I would be eternally grateful, Lord, please. It's different. See, when you start to realize, as a child of God... You don't just have access to the throne room. You've been given 
a signet ring. A signet ring is you have all the power and authority of Jesus. Signed, sealed, delivered. So when you know something is the will of God according to the scriptures, you don't need to ask. You can declare. You can command. Why? You've been given authority. What is authority again? The right to make decisions and enforce obedience, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, especially oppression or possession in the life of the believer. If someone is a believer in Jesus, any spiritual oppression on their life is illegal because they're a part of the kingdom of God. Now, these are rebellious spirits. They don't care about breaking the law. They don't care about oppressing you. Of course, they're going to rebel and break the law. But when you realize the truth of God's word and what is legal and what, is, what isn't, and you stand in your authority and you don't just, oh, Lord, please, oh, Lord, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Imagine that there's a robbery at the gas station out here after church and there's a police officer there and he's going, oh my goodness, um, uh, man, it's Sunday and that stinks because the magistrate is off today because I need to go ask him to stop this robbery. That would be insane, it wouldn't it? They would never do that. Why? Because a police officer is commissioned with authority, all the authority of the government of that city to execute justice and enforce obedience. And so if he sees a robbery in progress, he doesn't need to ask. Now he knows the law. He knows the book. He knows what's legal and what's not legal. And because he knows the book and he knows the law, when he sees something that's happening that's illegal, he doesn't need to ask. He goes, he makes a decision, and he enforces obedience in this city. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, all authority has been given to me. Now go make disciples. What was the gospel Jesus preached? It was the gospel of the kingdom of God. Bring the rule and reign of God over your city, over your family, over yourself. It starts with you. You living in alignment with the kingdom of God. Then you bring the kingdom in your household. Parents, you have spiritual authority over your children. And I think we need to start changing our prayers when we have spiritual discernment and we see our kids getting wrapped up in drug addiction or gender confusion or sexual immorality. It's not just, you know, better than that. We take it to church. This is the law of God. You need to do this, kid. So many parents rush into that conversation. Try this for a week or two or maybe a month before you have that conversation. Pray spiritual warfare over them every day. I rebuke and renounce the mindsets of the enemy. I rebuke and renounce the veils of deception coming against my child. I command every evil spirit coming against my child to leave now in Jesus' name. Pray it every single day. And then say, hey, let's have a talk. You get the warfare off of their mindset, they might actually listen to you. But so many parents, they don't do spiritual warfare over their children so that The devil has power and control in those mindsets because there's been agreements made by those children. So you go to say, hey, and you go, you go so soft and gentle. I know you do. I know you never yell at your kids. And you go so soft and you're like, hey, hey, bud, you know, I know that um, it's really tempting for kids your age. Shut up, mom. Leave me alone. Why do they do that? Because there's a little demon in there. Shut up, mom. Leave me alone. (laughs) Who do you think you are? You were never a teenager. You have no idea what it's like to be me. (laughs) And they just go right along with it. 
But man, if we would learn to pray, standing in your authority and fighting the real battle, your battle's not against your kid. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of evil. You know? I don't know what that means, but I think the Holy Spirit's <laughs> translating something. <laughs> so I do this to kids all the time. I'm like, you know what this is? It's brain sucker. You know what it's doing? Nothing, right? That's a word curse. I actually stopped doing that because that's like a word curse over kids. But that's what, <laughs> that's true. I did repent and not, I don't do that anymore. Unless I don't like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't do it. I don't do it. But that's what the devil's doing. He's got those mindsets. He's twisting. And you have authority over your household. You have authority over your children. And you pray over your kids and those demons flee, I'm telling you. You can resist the devil for your kids. Now you need to teach them and train them up and let them know what's going on. Because there's going to come a day where they're not under your authority. They're not under your covering. And they need to know how to fight. And they need to know how to stand. And they need to know how to armor up. So Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Let me show you a few more places in scripture. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, Jesus, so that by his death... He shared in, his human, in our humanity so that by his death as a human being, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So pre-cross, the devil held the power of death over people's heads. But listen to what Jesus said in Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus bought back mankind's authority on the earth. He stripped the devil of all his power. Jesus holds the power of death in Hades. And if you're under his lordship, he says to you today, when you lay this body down, you will not even taste death. You will not see death. You will pass from life to life. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It has been removed because the sting of death is sin, and it's been taken away by the blood of Jesus. So, one of the best verses on spiritual warfare, Luke 10, 18, and 19. They, the 72 disciples returned from driving out demons, preaching the gospel, healing the sick. And, and the thing they're most amazed by is even the demonic spirits submit to us in your name. That's pretty amazing, guys. <sighs> it's cool when you pray for somebody and for healing and they get healed. It's awesome. It's a miracle. Praise God. He's still moving in power today. It's amazing. It's cool when you preach the gospel and people come to faith. It's amazing. But when you encounter someone who has a literal demonic presence and you know that that is a demon, I mean, if you don't know who you are in Christ, that's scary. That's some scary stuff. This thing has real spiritual power. But when you stand in your authority and you pray and that thing submits to you and that thing leaves, you're blown away. You're surprised because you know you. And you know that wasn't you. It's amazing. And so they return and they're rejoicing. They're like, even demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus goes, all right, all right. Don't rejoice that demons submit. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Which does mean this, though. That if you pray and demons flee, your name, it's a sign your name is written in heaven. Why? Because if they flee, that means it's because of the power and the presence and the authority of Jesus in you. And if you have the authority and power of Jesus in you, that means you're in Christ. That means you've been sealed with a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
Praise God. Praise God. The Pharisees said to Jesus, you're, you're of the devil. You're driving out demons, but you're doing it by demonic power. And Jesus is like, this is the Aaron Paul Kirk version, APV, APKV. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. That's what Jesus was saying. De- the devil doesn't drive out the devil. A kingdom divided doesn't stand. He's like, that doesn't even make sense. But if I drive them out by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is really among you. Man, in our day and age in America, if you get into spiritual gifts, you're going to get accused of heresy. You're going to get slandered by other believers. Pharisee Christians who are ignorant and do not know what they speak of or what they speak against. But you get into deliverance ministry, you're going to be hated. Why is that? Because those people are under the influence of demonic mindsets. And when you get into explicitly talking about the devil and driving him out of people's lives, ooh, they really don't like that. And so the Pharisees hated Jesus because he had an effective deliverance ministry. And he said, but if I drive them out by the finger of God... Or if I'm driving them out by the devil, who do your people drive them out by? That was a slam because they couldn't drive them out. They were reading scriptures over them. They were saying their Jewish prayers, and it wasn't working. And Jesus comes in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, of the Father, and of himself. (laughs) And he says, you ever notice Jesus didn't say in the name of Jesus? He is Jesus. He just like, come out, and they come out. We operate in the power and the authority of Jesus. And if you can effectively see a demon leave a person, and you know it wasn't you, because they don't leave at the command of a man, well, then the kingdom of God is really among you. And I'm telling you, we have a, powerful and effective deliverance ministry here. And so when I hear the chatter and the slander and the gossip and the, oh, that, that church is a cult, and I'll, I'm like, okay, oh, deliverance isn't for today. Okay, how many demons have you cast out? That's what I thought. You haven't because you don't believe it's possible because you think the devil doesn't do that anymore, apparently. And it's sad because there are demonically possessed and oppressed people sitting in all of our churches And those people with those beliefs can't help them. And they make up ideologies and theologies that are not from Scripture. And it keeps people trapped. And it keeps people in torment. And the places that are meant to be the hospitals are not. (laughs) And so I praise God for what he's done in this church. And opening our eyes, bringing us to a place of not only belief in these things, but the practice of these things. And we've seen many people set free from the power of the enemy to the praise and glory of God. And this is what he wants for every church. We're not special. We just read the Bible and went, this is true. We believe this. We get trained. We start doing it. And man, I'm telling you, when we were spiritual infants and didn't know what we were doing, and those first few prayer sessions, I remember being so nervous. And man, I hope this works. Now, I didn't tell the people that. I'm just like, well, let's just pray. And then 
I mean, from day one, people going, my depression's gone. I feel lighter. Talk to him a month later. Yeah, still free. Oh, I came off my meds. Yeah, oh, I'm healed. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's amazing. And so now we have several years of experience of doing that, and, and, and it's not, I think, I believe, it's like, I know. I know who Jesus is, and I know that this works. And when you see people set free from the power of the enemy, it gives you confidence in your faith. But you know that you just helped somebody that no doctor can help. You can't medicate someone enough to take care of that issue. It's only a spiritual solution to that. And we're the ones who are supposed to have that solution. And so you and I have the power and authority of Jesus Christ. In Luke 10, 19, his disciples are all excited. Even the demons are smitten. He said, hey, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In verse 19, three major statements about spiritual warfare that, that we need to know. I have given you power and authority. I've given you authority to do what? To do two things. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. And then a promise when we do spiritual warfare, nothing will harm you. So now we start to see that demonic stronghold belief, oh, don't learn about that stuff because you'll get attacked more. That's not inciting faith. That's inciting fear of being harmed. Jesus says nothing will harm you when you engage in spiritual warfare. I've given you my authority to enforce obedience on demonic spirits and on the oppression that's coming against your life to make decisions and enforce the kingdom will of God. And so in that regard, it is as if you and I are uh, commissioned police officers, military police in the kingdom of heaven. And I like the illustration that my mentor in deliverance, Harold Oberschlake, uses. And he says it this way. It's as if when you become a Christian from day one, you're a commissioned military police officer. So you get a badge, just like a sheriff gets a badge. It says sheriff. Our badge doesn't say sheriff. It says Jesus. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He has authority over the earth now. We're bringing his kingdom. We get a badge. That's our authority. My badge doesn't say Pastor Aaron, (laughs) okay? My badge says Jesus. I'm working for him. I have his, I have the same power and authority as Jesus. We also get weapons of warfare. You get that gun, only this is a metaphor, okay? You don't get a literal gun, (laughs) The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The weapons we have are actually more powerful than that because they have power, divine power, to demolish strongholds. Let that truth sink in and totally transform your intercession prayer life. So many people pray faithless prayers and we wonder why they don't work. But if your family or friends are caught up in drugs or they're caught up in, you know, ideologies that aren't of God, and, and I hear Christians pray, oh, Lord, they're so lost. Oh, Lord, help them. Oh, Lord, they're so lost. 
Hold up a second. You've got spiritual power to demolish strongholds. The reason they're lost is they're believing these lies. That is the stronghold of the enemy in their life. You have something in you, on you, that you can use to break the power of those strongholds in those people's lives so that they come to faith. It changes your perspective on intercession. It empowers your prayer life. And so you've got this badge. It's the authority of Jesus. And then you've got the power of Jesus to make demonic spirits obey the will of Jesus. Okay? So this is the illustration that Harold uses, and I love it. He's like, let's say that you're, you're an on-duty police officer, all right? And you're at the local gas station and uh, you're getting your, your coffee and some, and some donuts because we're just going to reinforce that stereotype here today. And, uh, and you're getting your little breakfast and you're on duty. You've got your badge. You've got your gun. You're in your uniform. And some robbers come in and they're going to rob this store. Now, that's illegal, right? This should not be happening. You're in the store. This is your territory. Now, maybe they look over. They see you there. Does the robbery stop just because you're present? No. Especially if, like most Christians, you've got the uniform, you've got the badge, you've got the power, you've got the gun, but you have no idea that that's who you are. And so you see a robbery in progress and you're like, oh man, oh, I better, I better, where's the pastor? Where's my pastor? Uh." The enemy's coming in and he's robbing and he's plundering my family and he's stealing their destinies and he's getting them bound up in the, in the mindsets of the world. Ah, pastor, what do I do? And, and, and many Christians have no idea that you've got the same power and authority. Does the robbery stop just because you're there? No. What do you have to do? You need to make your presence known. So if an on-duty police officer sees a robbery in progress in the store they're in, what do they do? Stop in the name of the law. Stop in the mighty name of King Jesus. Now does the robbery stop? Perhaps. It depends on who the assailant is. It depends on, you know, if they're a weaker-willed criminal, if they're a weaker-willed rebellious spirit. Maybe you just resisting a little bit causes them to go, oh, shoot, this, this police officer is awake and aware and knows what's going on. And maybe they flee because they don't want to get into it. But maybe not. Maybe it's a little stronger-willed assailant, a little stronger-willed demonic spirit coming against you or your family or your church or your region. So you're stopped in the name of the law, and they turn on you. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to do something about it, tough guy. And they pull out their weapons, and they start shooting their fiery darts. They start manifesting. They start intimidating to see how you're going to react. And so you get the shield of faith up. You take out their fiery darts. Now, if you're in that situation as a real police officer and the assailant pulls a gun on you, what do you do? I guess you guys aren't trained police officers. You're like, I don't know. What do they do? (laughs) I know what I'd be doing. I'd be pulling my gun and returning some fire. So stop in the name of the law. Stop in the name of Jesus. Get out of my family. Get off my kids in the name of Jesus. (sighs) Oh, they know what it is. They know, what, they know we're here. Let's see what this guy's got. The attack increases. 
I said, in the name of Jesus, stop or I'm going to rain down heaven on your head. And then you rain down heaven on their head. And you engage in spiritual warfare prayer and you do not let up until you win. Now, these are rebellious spirits. You know, Jesus said it is written three times. And then one of the versions, either Matthew or Luke, have that story. And one of them, he says the third time, away from me, Satan. Jesus, he didn't just say it is written. They're the same story. One has an extra detail. That's what really happened. The other one just left that detail out. So he said it's written three times. And then he went away from me. Leave me alone. And Satan left. Stand in your authority, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If the attack increases, well, then you're going to increase your attack on him. You're going to increase your prayer. You're going to increase your intercession. You might get kind of crazy and fast for a whole day. Well, what if that doesn't work? I don't know. Maybe fast every day and pray every day. Fast lunch every single day and pray for an hour every single day, fasting your lunch and say, let it be known in heaven. I am fasting my lunch this day against this assailant, this illegal activity in my life or in my family. And I'm going to spend an hour praying against you in the name of Jesus, not asking God to do something directing my prayers to the assailant and saying, I stand in the power and authority of Christ and I command you to leave my life and to leave my family. Try that. And here's the deal. When they, they will resist you unless and until they finally realize that you realize who you are in Christ and that you're not going to give up. At that moment, when they realize we've tried this, we've tried that, we've pushed back here, we gave the bad dreams, we did the manifestation thing, maybe they tried the floating chair trick, I don't know, but you don't care, you're focused, you're leaving, you're leaving, you're leaving, and they go, this guy's not giving up, which means we lose, now it's time to leave. Now they leave till a more opportune time. Early on in our church's journey, every couple of months, I'd have a prophetic person come up and be like, the Lord told me to tell you, a storm's coming. There's there's something coming. There's warfare coming. And that used to spook me. I'd be like, oh, no. And then you start viewing everybody in your life with suspicion, you know? (laughs) Who is it? Who is it? Who is it going to be? And the Lord does warn his people, and that's not those people's intent. But after several years of that happening, every couple months, and they were always right, by the way, there was always a storm coming. And then I just had this epiphany I live in a war, I live on the front lines. In a few days, the enemy's gonna rain down hell on your life, there's a storm coming. Okay. Huh. I was wondering when it was going to be because I've had a lot of peace for a long time. So (laughs) figured it'd be coming soon because they don't leave me alone for very long. I don't know about you. I don't care now. I really don't care. 
here's what's freaky. When the Holy Spirit warns you directly, this next season's going to be tough. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy, buck up, camper. <laughs> but he doesn't do that to scare you. He's saying when things start going south or when bad things happen, the enemy will tempt you to think you're off track. You're doing something wrong. So the spirit of God will warn you so that when stuff happens, he's like, no, you're actually doing exactly what I want you to do. You're actually a threat to the enemy, and that's why they're attacking you. So just stand firm, persevere through it, and they'll leave until a more opportune time. And that's it. You learn to live a life of warfare. And I'm telling you, if you're a believer in Jesus, and if you're truly going after your calling to bring the kingdom, you're going to live on the front lines. But to make a decision to not live on the front lines is disobedience, (laughs) which opens your life to a whole lot scarier warfare because it's more subtle. It's called complacency that lulls you to sleep, and you end up like Laodicea and lukewarm and loving it. And that's a lot scarier place to be. And the Bible says stay awake, stay alert, keep watch, because the enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. It calls them a lion, and it, call, it compares them to wolves. Wolves and lions, wolves and lions. Wolves and lions hunt the same way. They're pack animals. And what they'll do is they'll find a herd of, of someone they want to consume, a herd of God's people, and they'll spook the herd. Scary. Storms coming. Spooked. Confusion. Distraction. Ah, everybody's spooked. Then they jump in there. And what are they looking to do when the herd's spooked? They're looking to single someone out. They're looking to isolate someone. They're looking for someone who's weak-willed that they can isolate. And then they circle... And they consume. That's how they work. If you've ever seen the videos of, you know, lions on safari and like they, they go after, they spook the herd, but the herd circles and the herd sometimes will even circle the weak and the injured and those lions come and the herd fights them off. Those lions are like, we, we could get hurt. And even though lions and wolves are like kind of big and scary, <laughs> they like easy prey. And that's why if you become awake and aware of the spiritual warfare in your life and you actually start resisting the devil, oh, they'll test you because very often what is happening when you become aware of it and you start fighting back, they're occupying space in your life. They've always been there. When you start fighting back, you're actually getting them off of your life, off of your family, out of your household. They don't like to give up that ground. So they'll resist. They'll fight back with you. But if you keep resisting as long as it takes, I mean, I'm telling you, very often it doesn't take long. There's very few spiritual battles that are these long, drawn-out things because they like easy prey. And especially in America, most Christians are asleep. You put up a little resistance, they're just like, all right, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to the house down the street because those people aren't putting up in resistance. They want easy prey. So that's why scripture says, hey, listen, it's really this simple. If you learn to resist the devil, he will flee from you. 
And if he starts to push back, you just push back. If he starts to make you feel his presence, oh, you let him feel the presence of Jesus operating through you. And I'm going to increase my prayer life, and I'm going to sing louder during worship. And I'm going to get crazy and start fasting lunch every day and praying every day. And then he done play, overplayed his hand because then it becomes my lifestyle. And he's like, oh, let's just wait for a more opportune time. And then he never attacks me because there is no opportune time because I'm living in the presence and power of Jesus every day. So you're a commissioned police officer in the army of God. And you are meant to bring the kingdom of God. And you have power and you have authority. And you have weapons. And as we move into the next section of this series, the 201 section, we're going to start getting practical how to pray, how to do battle. We're going to start talking about specific strategies of the enemy. There's personal strategies. There's family strategies. There's strategies and mindsets against the church. And there's national strategies. And how do you do warfare against all those different things? And the Bible calls us to. So many Christians are just focused on themselves. And yet he says, first of all, I want you to make prayers and intercession for the nation. To break strongholds and mindsets over the nation. And so he has strategies at all these levels. And we're to be a people of intercession that decree and declare in the spirit of God. By the power of God in alignment with the will of God. That's why prayer is so powerful. You begin to break you, you know, our revival last year, why did we see all this fruit in the harvest? Because we prayed for several weeks leading up to it. And we were winning the battle in the spirit. So when we went to do the revival on the earth and the natural pff, fruit, I mean, it's just like, like low-hanging fruit. It's like pulling fruit off a tree. is easy. Why? Because we got rid of the spiritual warfare over this region and over the people. And so prayer and intercession, prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. And so using spiritual gifts... Operating by faith, learning how to pray, learning how to pray with power, learning how to pray scripture, and learning how to discern when you're in a spiritual battle versus, you know, something bad happened and I'm just grieving, right? And, and learning how to discern the discerning of spirits. And when you discern, oh, this is, this is a spiritual battle, then you know what to do and you're equipped. That's what we're going to be heading into. But these first three weeks are essential, because when we get into the practical, pray like this. What, what happens so often, what has happened here before is, I'm like, I'm just a practitioner. I'm like, just do this, it works. But then that religious spirit, that mindset uh, can creep in like, yeah, but, uh, that's not in the Bible. Oh, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm not sure I can believe this. And so we're laying a groundwork these first three weeks to give understanding so that when we move into the practical, it's like, we know why now, so here's how. And the why will empower the how. Um, and it's, it's going to be awesome. So let me pray for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Lord to do some impartation over you. Would you guys stand with me? I want to commission you today as soldiers of the Lord. And after I pray, if you need prayer for anything, ministry, our ministry team will be available. Come on up and let them pray over you some more. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your presence in here today. And right now I commission these people as soldiers in the army of God to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them 
I just impart to these people, the people in this room that truly belong to you, that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been saved. I pray right now, and I pray that you would impart to them right now, Jesus, power and authority. I impart to them power and authority to drive out demons. I impart to them power and authority to win spiritual battles. I impart to them right now the gift of discerning of spirits. That that when situations are going on, when there's negative things happening in their lives, in their families, at school, at work, they would be able to discern, oh, hold up, this is not just natural. There, There is some demonic activity here. There is some principalities twisting people's thoughts, causing uh, dissension, causing jealousy, causing these things. And I'm going to go to war in the spirit and I'm going to pray on my way to work every day. I'm going to pray on my way to school every day. It's not just I'm being bullied. There are demons twisting the thoughts of these other kids to mess with me. I'm not even going to mess with the other kids. I'm going to go above them and I'm going to pray the warfare off of them. I'm going to pray God's healing and God's grace over those kids. I'm going, to co- I'm going to command the demons off of those other kids. I'm going to pray the same way over my boss that always likes to pick on me. I'm going to sit, pray the same way over my coworkers. And I'm going to pray it every single day on my drive in. And see if the atmosphere shifts. God, I pray for that spiritual discernment. When, when you're awoken in the night, you've had a horrible dream. That it's not, you don't take that on yourself. But you go, hold up. That was not of God, and that was an attack in my sleep. And I'm going to pray through it before I go back to sleep. And then I'm going to sleep like a baby, and God's going to supernaturally give me better sleep in these last few hours that make me feel like I had an eight hours of sleep because of what the enemy tried to steal. And so I just pray, Lord, the spirit of grace and supplication, the spirit of prayer. God, I pray that you would, I pray you would fill this church with uh, the gift of tongues that every believer in this church would receive the gift of tongues because it's such a powerful intercession gift. It is such a powerful spiritual warfare gift that you can pray in the spirit and it literally wards off the enemy. And there are days you don't even know what to pray and you feel the oppression and you just pray in the spirit and oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit goes to battle. And I just pray that spirit of intercession over this church. I pray an impartation of intercession. I pray an impartation of discerning of spirits that we're awake and aware, even down to every thought that comes into our minds and hearts, that we would be able to split, not just split hairs in our discernment, but split thoughts and go, wait, oh, that sounds really good. That's actually a half truth. That's actually not true. When we're talking about our calling and we're talking about faith, God, when other believers go, well, that'll never happen. Well, that, no, no, God's not going to do that. And they, they think they're being helpful. They think they're speaking wisdom, but we discern, hold up, that's actually unbelief and faithlessness. And so I'm not going to receive that. And we don't have to be antagonistic. We just go, oh, I'm not receiving that. Nope. I know what my God is capable of. I know what he's called me to. And so I pray spiritual discernment, God. I pray sober-mindedness. I pray we would be awake and alert. And I renounce in the name of Jesus any fear of the demonic over this church, any fear of greater attack, any fear of retaliation. I rebuke it and renounce it. I cancel all assignments of the enemy on this church family. And I pray the peace of God and the courage of God to fill us as we do spiritual battle. 
knowing that we're more than conquerors in Christ. I pray the confidence of Jesus. Jesus never feared a battle. When the disciples couldn't drive out the demon and they brought him to Jesus and he went, oh, how long do I have to put up with this? Like he was, he was annoyed. <laughs> he was not afraid. <laughs> oh God, Paul was annoyed. <laughs> he was not afraid. <laughs> and I just pray, Lord, that, that we have that confidence um, because we, our confidence is you and we will not fear in the name of Jesus because you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so I thank you, God, for discerning of spirits. I thank you for boldness and courage and faith, the spirit of intercession. And I just thank you for your power and authority and that we would walk in confidence, God. I pray that we would minister compassionately to people who are afflicted with demons, to people who don't know you, or maybe they don't know how to, to help themselves. They're young in the faith. And they know that the depression is not of God. They know the anxiety is not of God. But they don't know what to do. And I just thank you, God, for a ministry team here and pastors here who know what to do. And so I just pray also an evangelism spirit in this church um, as we meet people out in the world and we're like, whoa, this person has issues. Wait a second. My church can help them. And so I just ask you for that, Lord, Enable us to help people who've been bound up in demonic activity or in the occult or literally have demonic possession, oppression. Um, just, just make us a hospital and enable us to help them empower, to get them totally free and to get them mature in Christ, to shut every door in their lives um, so that you, they can be, their, their bodies, their, their lives can be a temple where you dwell Holy Spirit. And so we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. And God, I pray as, as our power increases in spiritual warfare, that you would proportionally increase the spirit of worship and of seeking your face, that we're not obsessed with the demonic. We're not obsessed thinking about spiritual warfare. We're obsessed thinking about you. And when battles come up, we just go, oh, I know what to do. And we deal with it. And then we get right back to praising you and loving you and worshiping you. And I just pray for that. And I thank you for all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for peace today over this church. Thank you for confidence over this church. Thank you for love. That you fill our hearts with love for people that are lost, that don't know you. People that are under the power of the enemy, God. Fill us with your love, Jesus. I mean, you crossed the sea. You weren't afraid of a man who was full of a legion of demons. You crossed the sea just for him and the story says you went across and you found him and the demons knew you were there and they fell down and begged you not to send them out and you cast them out to save this man and once he was dressed and in his right mind fully healed fully free you got back in the boat and you went back to the other side the only reason you crossed that sea was to find that man who was oppressed and afflicted. You were not afraid one bit. You had compassion. And may we never fear someone who has demons. May we never fear someone who's, who's oppressed and afflicted. But God, maybe we just have compassion for them. May our hearts go out to them to help bring them healing and freedom. And I just thank you for that compassion and that love, the love of Jesus that sets the captives free. We thank you, God, that we're free people. 
And we thank you that our families are free people. And we thank you that we're going to bring the kingdom and bring freedom in this community and across this this region and across this world in a greater way. So thank you, Jesus, for your deliverance ministry. Thank you for your power and authority to set captives free. We love you, Lord. We bless your name today. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.